0: This time we'll sing uh, read rather in the Bible from Mark chapter 7. We'll read at this time verses 1 through 23 of Mark chapter 7 because the sermon this evening is also from the last part of chapter 7. We'll read the second part of chapter 7 tonight, the Lord willing. At this time, we'll only read verses 1 through 23 of Mark chapter 7. And the text for the sermon will be verses 14 through 23. This is God's word in Mark Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. and When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders." And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? but eat bread with unwashen hands. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God Ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother Let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye. Now the words of our text, verses 14 through 23. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without, that is outside, a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him Those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, It cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Thus far we read in Mark 7 in God's word. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we read in verse 16 here, If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. We're reminded we've heard that before in Mark chapter 4 regarding parables. We're reminded in this chapter that Jesus taught in parables. You children will remember from catechism that parables are simple stories that teach Simple stories of earthly things that teach heavenly realities teach us things about the kingdom of heaven. The Lord's purpose in teaching in parables was always not only to make his doctrine clear to his hearers, but it had a deeper purpose, a twofold purpose. On the one hand, the negative purpose was through the clear teaching of the things of the kingdom of heaven, whatever that doctrine may be, the enemies of Jesus, like the Pharisees here in chapter 7, they might hear that parable, they might see and be aware of that doctrine of the kingdom of heaven, but then not be converted and be left in their unbelief not have their sins forgiven and hardened unto their own condemnation but jesus also taught in mark chapter 4 the pause that the positive purpose for parables for his saints for his church for us we believe was that these parables might serve our understanding of the doctrine of the kingdom the doctrines of the kingdom of heaven might serve our faith in Jesus Christ, might be a means to our conversion, might be a blessing to us unto the knowledge of the forgiveness of our sins and be used by the Lord to renew us in a new and godly life. And thus Jesus, our chief prophet and teacher, as the book of Mark emphasizes, gives to us another parable parable which is rather short. He says in verses 14 through 16, Listen or hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man, there is nothing from outside of a man, that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, Let him hear. And by that very short parable, the Lord accomplishes his twofold purpose regarding the doctrine of the kingdom of heaven, and particularly the doctrine of sin, and how we are justified from the guilt of our sin, and how we are sanctified from the pollution of our sin. The Lord teaches a clear parable of how we are defiled with sin, in contrast to the erroneous tradition of the Pharisees, who thought that their defilement was the dirt that they would get on their hands if they would eat their food. And so they had all of these laws to wash their hands and their cups and their bowls and their spoons and all of their cutlery and everything else besides, for fear of being defiled, and in the thinking we can purify ourselves by our commandments. Jesus teaches them they have rejected the word of God and made their worship of God vain and wicked. But at the same time, that parable, not only rejecting the tradition and the error of the Pharisees, it also teaches us as God's people, his little children, believers and our seed, a doctrine which is very humbling, but also the power of God for us to believe, through that faith to be justified, to receive and to understand the knowledge of our justification and our life in Jesus Christ. Our prayer is then, as we consider this text, is that God may give us the ears to hear this parable To understand what Jesus teaches and then to respond in true faith in the only fountain of our holiness and everlasting life, which is only Jesus Christ, our Lord. Consider then the text under this theme, the fountain of man's defilement, the fountain of man's defilement. Well, notice its miserable presence, its certain location, and then thirdly, the believing response—the believing response that we must have to what Jesus teaches here. Yes, at the end of the text, verses twenty, verses twenty-one through twenty-three, there is a long list of sins, aren't there? A very sobering list which the Lord gives to us, through which we must work. There are 13 types of sin mentioned here, by which man is defiled. The first of which is evil thoughts. When the Lord mentions evil thoughts, he does not mean that it is necessarily evil that one think about the doctrine of sin, or the sins which the Bible illustrates and teaches us not to do, thinking about sin and how it is confronting us in the world, that those thoughts in themselves are evil. No. We must have, as the scriptures teach, holy and righteous thoughts over against the sins of the world, or the sins to which our old nature may be attracted. We must be like our Lord to have those holy thoughts regarding sin. What Jesus points out here as that which defiles us are those thoughts which are immoral. Their origin is not love to God, not a regard for his holy majesty, but a love for self The standard of those thoughts are not the commandments of God, but what we want. And the goal is for our own self-gratification. And we may justify those thoughts of, well, this is nice, I feel good, I feel happy now. The Lord teaches those things are nevertheless evil. Their source... The standard and the goal of those thoughts is not in Christ, not according to his word, and not to the glory of God. Jesus puts this at the beginning of the list of 13 things, because that's where these sins begin. Although a man may not commit any of the other 12 things mentioned here, Yet if he even thinks of doing so, thinks of committing fornication, thinks of committing adultery, and everything else mentioned here, he's already defiled himself with those sins. As James later teaches in the book of James, just the thought will bring forth later the sin. That seed of that evil thought will soon lead, if nurtured, to the murder, to the lying, and the things mentioned later in the list. Think of Eve in the Garden of Eden. She began to think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil according to a different standard than God's commandment and with a different goal herself. And that thought led to her fall into sin and taking the fruit and eating it in full disobedience unto God. It's for that reason, as we go through the list, we must remember, we must be on guard of evil thoughts contrary to God's commandments and address those evil thoughts so that they do not grow, they do not develop in us unto sinful words or sinful actions, and a life, perhaps, of great sin. Number two, the Lord lists adulteries. Adultery is the sin of a married man or a married woman becoming sexually involved with another one who is not his or her spouse. Jesus mentions this, and an example of that would be David who committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was also married. God forbids adultery, even condemning divorce, except for the ground of adultery, and also forbidding the remarriage of those who are divorced. One who commits adultery is defiled with great sin. Number three in the list, fornications. That is the sin of those who are unmarried. Unmarried men, unmarried women, whereby they use the gift of sexuality outside the boundaries of marriage, either before or perhaps in the single life, never becoming married and yet becoming promiscuous. Fornication includes all forms of sexual immorality, Not just premarital sex, but pornography, sexual abuse, men and women molesting children, rape, homosexuality, lesbianism, men attempting to become women, women attempting to have a gender change to men as well. That's fornication. Number four, murders. A man is defiled. We can become defiled by an act of murder. And not just by taking the life of another with a gun or a knife, but with evil words and sharp, cutting behavior intended to injure and perhaps cause suffering to that neighbor to whom we commit that sin. David was defiled with the sin of murder when he murdered through making the arrangements in the battle with the Philistines to have Uriah killed on the front line. Murder includes abortion, or on the other end of the age spectrum, euthanasia. Murder also includes sexual abuse, verbal abuse, abuse of the spouse, abuse of the children in different ways. All of those things intended to injure to use someone, rather than to serve the neighbor, to use the neighbor for one's own gratification and evil, lustful desires. Number five, thefts. That is the sin of taking from another unlawfully what God has given to them in his providence and did not give to us. Think of examples of that in the Old Testament when Achan was told, all the Israelites, when we go to Jericho and we fight against that city, don't take the gold or the clothing. All of those things are first fruits unto the Lord in our first battle in the land of Canaan. You may touch it, but deliver it to Joshua so that it can be kept with the treasury in thanksgiving unto the Lord. And what did Achan do? He took the money. He took the clothing, buried it under his tent, and was defiled with that sin. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, lied and stole from Naaman the Syrian, saying, giving that false story so that he could get the gold and the clothing of Naaman, who had been healed from his leprosy. Theft can include other things, too, not just the stealing of goods from another which belong to them. Take it to ourselves. God also forbids the theft or the robbery of refusing to give to him the worship and the love and the devotion and the sacrifice that he deserves because of his glory and because of the goodness and grace which he has given unto you and to me for Jesus' sake. Closely connected to theft is number six, covetousness. God said, as we heard earlier, thou shalt not covet. Man is defiled when he covets a false god or a false Christ or other commandments than the Ten Commandments, or another word of another gospel, or other earthly things which God has not given to us and has withheld from us, or another way in life than this path which God has placed us with all of its sufferings and troubles. easily we can be defiled with covetousness, in which we are no longer, really, we're no longer satisfied with our God. And if we were to sing, for example, Psalter number 203, in covetous, while we're being covetous, that psalm and that singing would be vain and wicked. Number seven is wickedness in this list, a very long, sobering list, wickedness. This word in the New Testament is often translated malice, and that helps us to understand what is meant by Jesus here. Malice is the sin of intending to hurt someone else. The Pharisees, for example, in chapter seven, they came from Jerusalem Unto Jesus, with the intent to get him, to find fault, to injure him, to ruin his ministry. They were filled with malice against Jesus. Are we not filled with malice? When someone wrongs us on the road, in traffic, Or in other areas of life, they have hurt us or our children. Well, now we're going to get back at them. We're going, we are going to take justice into our hands and level the field and injure them. That's malice. We're prone to retaliation as well. Number eight in the list is deceit. Deceit is the sin of lying which is like behaving like the devil, the father of the lie. And there are many different ways to be deceitful and to lie. One can speak an outright lie, like the devil, thou shalt not die, that was rather obvious. One can also speak half-truths, a little bit of slander. One can plagiarize secretly, look over at the other student's test and Glance and then cheat. Teacher won't know. That's deceit when you hand that in to your teacher and say, this is all the work that I've done, now grade my work. No, that one answer there, that's not your work. That was your friend's work. He studied. I didn't. That's deceitful. The Lord sees that. We're easily defiled with deceit. Number 9 in the list of 13 is lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is a complete lack of self-control in the use of the gifts which God has given us, the earthly gifts of our possessions, but also our physical gifts as well. It is a refusal to use those gifts, our possessions or our physical gifts in moderation. It is the defilement of, well, I will indulge in these things for self-gratification, for me, and me alone, and, well, they can have some too, but it's all about me. And there are examples of that in the Scriptures when, for example, in the Old Testament, where idol worship was committed, very often those feasts of idol worship were filled with lasciviousness, gluttony, drunkenness, and sexual immorality. When we look out into the world, that describes the world, full of materialism, hedonism, pleasure-mindedness. And Are we not defiled with that sin too? Then number 10, Jesus describes very clearly the sin of being defiled with an evil eye. Jesus' description, an evil eye, describes jealousy and envy very clearly. The evil eye is one that looks to another and sees that the other has things which he doesn't have or she doesn't have. Maybe it's clothing, maybe it's possessions, maybe it's family, children, parents, a situation in life, it may be success. That one has, but I didn't get, they got chosen I did not. And so that evil eye looks at the other who may have been preferred or have had more success or more things than I do and is to burn with jealousy towards that individual. You children can think of an example of that when look into the Old Testament and there are Joseph's brothers. There's Father Jacob. And Father Jacob gives to Brother Joseph that coat of many colors and did not the eyes of those brothers burn when they saw that coat of many colors go from Father Jacob to Brother Joseph? And are we not defiled with that too? Number 11 is blasphemy. That's the sin which it can be committed not just against God, but also the neighbor, the, the man or the woman or child that God puts upon our pathway. Against God, as the third commandment teaches, it is taking his name in vain. His name, which is of infinite worth, and treating it as nothing. That's blasphemy. But may we do that to our neighbor, take our neighbor's name and slander that name, ruin his name? No. That would be blasphemy, too, to treat that name of that brother in Christ or that sister in Christ or the neighbor or the child in my home, that covenant child, and treat them like nothing. mean do that. An example of this is when Jesus was crucified on the cross. The enemies of Christ lined up, and they hurled at him all kinds of abusive slander. They blasphemed him as the Son of Man and as the Son of God. We may not do that, and yet, very often, we can be defiled with that sin, too. Number 12 of 13 is pride. When we think of pride, we think of the words arrogance, obnoxious. Thinking of ourselves much more highly than we ought to think. Not realizing how small we actually are and thinking we're so big. Even after we have the lesson in science class where we see there are these large stars out in the universe, way out in the distance, and then we put that large star next to the earth, And you can't even see it on the picture. And we're somewhere on that earth. We're nothing. And yet, coming away from that science lesson, we still think we're quite something before God. That's pride. And that was a sin which the disciples needed to fight when they argued with each other, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who will sit next to Christ at his right hand? I will, I will, they argued. That's pride. We must be constantly, you and I must be constantly on our guard against pride and that defilement. And finally, number 13 in this long, challenging, grueling list, because we stand before a mirror of ourselves. Foolishness is the last in the list, on purpose, and it literally means insanity. And it describes the defilement of a refusal to receive knowledge and understanding about the truth of God's word or the truth of his providence and the things of the kingdom of heaven. A man may be defiled or a woman may be defiled with foolishness or this spiritual insanity, and walking in a false doctrine or in a path of disobedience to God, and friends come to that individual and say, according to the scriptures, that doesn't measure up to the standard of God's commandments. You're walking in sin. This is what the, this commandment says, and this is what your works are, and I'm concerned for your soul and your spiritual welfare. You need to, as I do, need to repent of these things and walk in newness of life by faith. And yet that man or woman hearing those pleas that we give, those calls to repent and to see the word, they refuse. They will not listen. Even though what they're doing is contrary to the word of God in many examples, they won't listen. They're stubborn. Slow to understand. They refuse to be taught and to be led by the shepherd. That's foolishness. How often don't we, like sheep, go astray? We won't listen. We won't learn. Beloved, this is Jesus' assessment of man's defilement. And first of all, it's an assessment which is totally reliable, authoritative, It is because Christ is the true prophet of Jehovah. He is righteous. He is holy. He in his holy mind is able to know the truth and to reveal the truth concerning the defilement that is in man. He is wise and able to explain this through a parable. This is what man's defilement is. Here is the source and the location of that defilement. In fact, as the Son of God, He can see into us and doesn't need us to tell Him what's inside. He knows as the Son of God. And thus this assessment of Jesus of 13 different things is not exaggeration or hyperbole. This is the truth. This is the reality concerning man. And secondly, that accurate description of our defilement is thorough. Jesus shows that man's defilement is universal. There is no man conceived and born of, of women since the days of Adam and Eve that can say, no, I don't have this defilement. I'm free of this. No. It's universal. And it's total Look at the long list and think of all the different areas to which this list applies and all of the commandments to which this list touches. It is total. Every part of man. And each part totally is defiled with these things. If not the very act of these things, certainly with the thought and certainly with the desire or the power to do them. And that defilement, thirdly, is not just for a few, few years in our life. As you know, and as you learn, as God leads us through life, this goes with us every day of our life. Lifelong. It's weary. And number four, it's humanly inescapable. We can't devise some thing to escape from this defilement. It's with us. And from it, we cannot detach ourselves by our own power, by our own imagination, or different things that men may propose as a way to get away from that defilement and that misery. No. Only those... Jesus implies in the passage, who being regenerated by his spirit, born of his grace and spirit, renewed by him, those given faith in him to repent, to believe, and out of that faith to walk in newness of life, they are delivered. Without that, there is, without Christ, without his word, Without his grace and his voice, there is no escape from the bondage of sin, not even the bondage of addicting sins. It leads us then to see that correct location of that defilement. Where does this come from? Where is its source? Where is this fountain? The Pharisees had taught, well, We have found where it is. found the location of that fountain. It's from the outside, from without. Defilement comes from dirty hands and dirty dishes and touching Gentiles. And when I'm at the market and I touch a Gentile, ooh, I'm dirty, and now I must wash my hands, wash my clothes, and then I can become undefiled. And then with that undefiled garment and undefiled hands and mouth, I can now go into the temple, come into the presence of God and worship him. That's what they were teaching their followers by the multitude of their washing laws, some of which are mentioned here by Jesus. By that they taught, we can keep ourselves externally and internally undefiled before God. That's an error that Jesus exposes. That's not possible. A little later in church history, some taught, well, all right, we can't justify ourselves by our works, but we can certainly keep ourselves externally clean from defilement by separating ourselves from society. Those were the ascetics. By that external distance from The hubbub of society, we on this mountain or the top of this pole will keep ourselves undefiled before God. Jesus teaches no, because in that case too, the source of your defilement went with you to the top of the pole or the top of the mountain. You can't get away from it. Pelagianism continued the tradition of the Pharisees and taught, well, man's problem with his defilement is not from within, it's from outside. it's from the bad examples of parents or teachers or neighbors in the neighborhood, and because of those examples,' we're making ourselves defiled. And the solution is: education. the solution is to reduce our exposure to those bad examples, and by just the will, to desire to become undefiled, I can by good works, make myself holy and save myself. To that, Jesus says no. He condemns that clearly when he teaches the location of that fountain of man's defilement is from within. That's the sobering reality. He teaches that in three locations in the text in verse 15, 20, and 23. He says, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come Out of him, from the inside out, those are they that defile the man. In verse 20 he says, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth him. Verse 23, All these evil things come from within, from the inside, and defile the man. What does that within mean? What does Jesus mean? What kind of description do we give to that? That fountain of man's defilement, Jesus teaches, is internal, spiritually internal. Just as a dirty fountain brings forth, we see in the field or in the mountain, that dirty water, so for man, there is that fountain that is dead and brings forth spiritual defilement. It is within him. Our three forms of unity have called that fountain by different names. For example, in Lord's Day 15, it's called the old man. Or Lord's Day 21, my corrupt nature. Lord's Day 44, our sinful nature. Lord's Day 51, that depravity that always cleaves to us. Lord's Day 52, our own flesh. In the Belgic Confession of Faith, it's referred to as the root thereof. The same article, a woeful source. And then over in the canons of Dort, in the third third and fourth head of doctrine, Article 2, it's called a vicious nature. Even in regards to the regenerated child of God, there remains in him that fountain of defilement, which is not to be understood as, well, now I have an excuse to sin. I can sin and I can just say, well, that's just my, that's just my old nature. I can't help it. No, that's the reality to which there must be a believing response. The regenerated child of God is born again. Yes, he has a new nature, with a nature that's born from above, from heaven, from Christ, by the Spirit. And he receives in that new nature that new image of righteousness, holiness, and truth. And being joined to Christ, he's joined to that fountain of every good and perfect spiritual gift. Nevertheless, as the canons teach, the Belgic Confession and the Catechism... Romans 7 teaches, there yet remains in us that old nature, that woeful source of this defilement which I commit, which you commit. And how do we respond then to the reality of that woeful source of defilement in us? In Jesus' day, there were these responses, first of all, of the Pharisees. Saw the parable of Jesus, said in response, No, nothing wrong with us. There is no fountain of defilement in us. We can prove it in our good works. We are righteous. We are holy. It's those publicans that have the problem. And Christ has the problem, but not us. Or there was the response of Judas Iscariot who also sat under this preaching of Jesus but rejected it as a hypocrite which was eventually exposed or today there's the world who mocks the church for preaching about sin and man's total devilement by nature they ignore that reject it we don't need preaching as the solution to the evils that we face in life. We have other solutions apart from Christ. We have to be careful, beloved, that we don't respond to what Jesus teaches here in unbelief. And saying, well, now I have a license to sin. I have an excuse now. I, I did this evil because this is my old nature. No, Christ does not give this to us as a license or an excuse to sin. That's unbelief nor may we be indifferent to this reality. Oh, I have the source of defilement within me. Oh, whatever. That may not be our response. Or we may not say, well, the Lord's assessment here, that's a little too much. I'm not that evil. I'm not chief sinner. I'm a little better than that, don't you think? But let us not minimize the reality of sin and the power of sin in us and the ugliness and the horror of that sin. This long list here is given us given to us by the Lord to show us how evil not just people out there are but how evil we are by nature. We must be therefore on our guard and confess that the source That defilement is not just in me, but by nature it is me. And be sorry for that. And flee from those things. And turn to the Lord for his rescuing mercy. The believer must respond to this word of Christ in Yes, true faith. And that true faith includes a true living confession of this horrible reality, this sobering reality, this humbling reality. Our confession must not just be, although it should be, doctrinally accurate. Yes, so that we can say, this is the doctrine of total depravity, give the full description of it, As we learn in Essentials of Reformed Doctrine, yes, our confession must be accurate. But that's not all. It must be given in that spiritually, heartfelt, fully conscious, subjective perspective that I am not only one who is defiled with sin, but I am the sinner. I am by nature darkness and defilement. There is in me the potential to do all of these things apart from Christ there is just this fountain of iniquity that's it that's all i am that must be our confession so that then there may be that looking to Christ and his incomplete and his complete atonement for the only thing that can wash away that defilement Wash away the stain of that defilement. Wash away the power of that defilement. Which is no man-made soap. But it is Christ alone. By his shed blood and his Holy Spirit through his word. It's his blood that washes away the guilt of our sin in the sight of God. And brings to us, by faith, that knowledge that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ alone. And it's through that faith we also, by the Holy Spirit, receive out of Christ, out of that fountain of every good and perfect spiritual good work, the life and the holiness and the desire to do those things. Not in this list, but in just the opposite of that. The believing response is what the psalmist says in Psalm 51, from which we sang earlier in Psalter 142. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Remove, purge out the defilement. Work in me by thy Holy Spirit, so that he, as the author of my good works, out of faith in Jesus Christ, may work in and through me, under the means of grace, these Good works, which are just the opposite of this list of 13. Instead of these things, our desire is that God work in us good thoughts, faithfulness in marriage, holy chastity, protecting the neighbor's life and nurturing that neighbor's life, serving them, giving ourselves to the neighbor. Being good stewards of everything God has given us. Being content with God and Christ, his word, his commandments, everything God has given you in life and the pathway God has given you in life too. Doing good to others, which includes hospitality, showing that love and thoughtfulness to one another in the communion of the saints. Honesty, temperance, being long-suffering, edifying speech that builds one another up in our life as pilgrims and strangers in this life, which requires then humility and wisdom. That's our desire, the desire of true faith in Jesus Christ, the desire of that we walk in peace before Him in the path of thankfulness by faith and out of faith in Jesus Christ. So that in Him we have the deliverance from this fountain that is within, who is our fountain of everlasting life. May God give us the ears to hear what Christ says to us concerning the, concerning the source of our defilement, but in Him, The only source of our life and hope. Amen. Let us pray. O most merciful God and Heavenly Father, we thank and praise Thee. We may submit to the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though very difficult, we weep, Heavenly Father, over our sinfulness. We rejoice thy faithfulness, and thy mercy, and thy goodness to us. Hear us, Lord, in thy mercy, and lead us forth by thy spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen.